listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. Appreciate you doing that at Old City Hall Court right now. There are about 80 U of T students, along with a lot of media, all standing around, all waiting for the poo chucker, the feces flinger. Arrested last night, as you have heard, and making a first court appearance this morning, our Camille Caramali is down there. He's covering it for us for Global News. The bailiff is saying now that they're trying to find a bigger court. They're trying to control this crowd. People have been kicked out. They're trying to get some audio things figured out. They might be scrubbing down the courtroom. There might be some kind of an antiseptic, I think. Maybe some Purell being handed around. The arrest was made last night at 6 p.m. in Queen Street West and Spadina Avenue area without incident. And this man, 23-year-old Samuel Apoku, has now been charged with a series of assaults and assault with a weapon and a number of other charges, including just plain old allegedly disgusting. And then there's this. When you get into this business as a broadcaster, you don't see this coming. I want to play for you a little audio clip from our very own Camille Caramali doing his very best to be technical, but not too detailed. He's been charged with five counts of assault with a weapon and five counts of mischief interfere with property. Now, the series of feces uh, being dumped on unsuspecting victims, that began Friday when a man entered a University of Toronto library just after 5 p.m. and poured the contents of what police call liquid fecal matter on two people. You don't see, you don't foresee your career taking you to a point where you're saying liquid fecal matter. That is not something that you generally, you don't get into the business to say, you know what, I'm going to have to, I'm going to come up with really technical terms for poo. That's what I'm going to do. But that is what's happening. And of course, a lot of students down there, a lot of those U of T students, trying to figure out what in the world is going on, what possibly would motivate a person to do this kind of thing. We're staying on top of that story, as smelly as it might be. And we will bring that more, bring more to you as we get it, if we get any developments from Old City Hall Court, where, again, the poo chucker, 23-year-old Samuel Opoku, who is allegedly behind these incidents that have, well, has really got the city talking. And today, I might notice, might note that if you're wearing a full raincoat from head to toe, it is appropriate to do so today because of the rain. Yesterday, I think people were doing it just because this guy, you know, the person had not been arrested. Again, allegedly, let's keep that in mind, still before the courts. Also happening uh, today in the news, as you heard, the government outlining a new anti-bullying uh, proposal to try and crack down on bullying for students in this province. Here is the Education Minister, Stephen Lecce, talking about the definition of bullying. So the Ministry will be looking at existing the existing definition of bullying in its current policies to ensure it accurately captures the various forms of bullying and victimization, including online victimization, that is being practiced in schools and communities in this province. 
Bullying, obviously a top-of-mind issue after the death of a young boy in Hamilton, allegedly at the hands of bullies. His mother had complained to the students, or rather complained to the school, and says not enough has been done. It continues to be an ongoing issue, and it is difficult for educators to police because now it moves beyond just the traditional, you know, getting roughed up at... uh, at recess or that kind of issue, and now it's all online as well. So the the harassment, the bullying can often happen out of sight for the educators, for teachers, and for parents. So it's difficult to be able to figure it out. And because of that, the province says now it is important for school boards and for teachers to report this sort of stuff. As an immediate step, I'll be asking all school boards to conduct a review to look at the existing reporting practices which are mandatory, to make sure that it is happening, first off, to keep kids safe in the classroom. That is Stephen Lecce, the Minister of Education, speaking this morning about a new anti-bullying proposal uh, by the Ontario government. We've done a lot of this in the past, us as parents, educators, trying to help kids and trying to eliminate bullying. And I tell this story often about the friendship bench that is at my son's school. And when we talk about the friendship bench, he just refers to it as the bully bench. And I said, well, what do you mean it's the bully bench? He says, because you sit there, you get bullied. Because everybody knows you don't have any friends. So don't sit there, ever. So the bench just, it's like an empty bench in, in the park. And I talked to my nephew, who goes to school in Burlington, and they had a plan to put in one of those benches at their school, and eventually they just said, no, this is ridiculous, we're not going to do it, it's not going to work. So we, we do these things, I think, you know, as parents and as educators, out of an abundance of caution, and I think we do it with the right motivation. I just don't know if it always works. I think what has to happen more is an encouragement of, you know, kids to talk, and for kids to believe that their parents and the adults in the room are going to believe them. Because what happens in these cases, and, you know, I go back to my own experience, and, you know, like a lot of kids, I was bullied in school, and you go and complain about it, and they go, you know what, suck it up. Or the answer is, well, what did you do to cause that reaction from that big, hulking, (laughs) grade 8 student that just beat you up? You know, I think again and again we do that. Well, what did you do? What did you do to provoke it? And it's not always so black and white, is it? It's not always about, you know, the little kid being picked on by the big kid. I know in my particular case, I'll tell you what, my mouth got me into a whole lot of trouble. I, I would have saved my, you know, this is in retrospect, you look back at it and you think, okay, yeah, I was bullied, but also maybe, maybe I might have learned just to keep quiet a little bit more, might have helped me out. What do you make of this whole Calgary flame situation? Bill Peters' status as the coach is still up in the air. The uh, investigation is ongoing. This is, have you heard this? The general manager, Brad Traveling, now talking about the investigation into Mr. Peters, who is the coach of the Flames. And Mr. Peters remains with the Flames, but is not, as I said, behind the bench. This after Akeem Alou alleges that the coach quote, dropped the N-bomb several times towards him in a dressing room in his rookie year because he didn't like his choice of music or dress. I want to start by saying allegations of this nature we take very, very seriously. Bill has not been relieved of his duties. We are 
continuing this ongoing uh, investigation right now. Um, had a chance to speak with Bill last night, obviously, and, and again this morning I spoke to um, Akeem last night and again today. I've spoken to some other players on that team. I've spoken to um, Stan Bowman within the, the Chicago Blackhawks organization, um, some other members of the Chicago Blackhawks organization. I, this is, this needs to be handled correctly. It needs to be thorough and it needs to be deep. That is the general manager of the Calgary Flames talking about an investigation into Bill Peters, who is the coach of the team who has been alleged to have used racial slurs 10 years ago in a clubhouse. And I raise all of this, and it kind of links together with bullying. Obviously, this is a a bigger, much bigger deal than just straight-up bullying. This is racism as well. But there is a culture that we have Uh, in sport or in locker rooms specifically that we still have not been able to get rid of, which is a kind of abuse of players by coaches to say that this is how you toughen up. We've heard some stories about that even from the Maple Leafs locker room in the wake of the firing of the coach Mike Babcock that he had been, if not abusive, perhaps inappropriate with the way that he dealt with players. This is obviously a bigger deal, and we'll have to wait to see what happens with Bill Peters and his future as a coach. But I think it it raises a lot of questions about, you know, if, if we're worried about kids being bullied, we also have to be worried about the culture that we instill in our young people, especially young boys, when they go into these locker rooms to play these team sports, and then, you know, well, we're going to motivate you by singling you out or trying to haze you to try and create a sense of team. Obviously, that is a big problem. Right now, the province of Ontario is in the midst of negotiations with the Brewers Retail, with the uh, conglomerate of number of multinationals that actually own the Brewers Retail. You see, in this province, we have what's called the New Beer Framework. It's a legal agreement that decides where and who can sell alcohol. Namely, it splits up beer and wine sales between the LCBO, the beer store, and grocery stores. That was brought in by the Liberal government. Of course, you know that the Ford government has promised that soon you will be able to buy beer and wine in corner stores. And to do that, it first has to amend the deal. It has to somehow get itself out of this 10-year deal with the brewer's retail or possibly end up paying some kind of penalty because the deal actually has within it some provisions that say, well, if you try and break the deal, if the government changes and the government wants to withdraw, that there are penalties for that. So that's currently underway. And as a backdrop to that, I noticed this on Twitter. Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, taking to Twitter last night, and this is what he tweeted. He said, need to restock my bar for the holiday season, so I stopped by Liquor Prestige, a great small business I heard about today to buy some quality Alberta spirits. Great selection, prices, and service. Open late. Thank goodness Ralph Klein privatized Alberta's liquor stores. And it comes with a photo of the Premier of Alberta holding a large box of liquor. It is clearly late at night. And it makes the point 
to the rest of the country that perhaps does not have a privatized system, and only Alberta has a fully privatized system in this country, that perhaps we would all be better off if we followed Alberta's lead and privatized liquor stores. Now, take by example, or by comparison rather, the LCBO, which is a monolith, a huge monopoly, and it can only it is the only thing that can sell hard liquor in this province. The revenue from the LCBO in 2017-2018, which is the last year that we have the actual annual report from the LCBO, the revenue was $6.24 billion. Net income was up 6.7% to $2.21 billion. And here is how much money went into the coffers of the Ontario government. $2.12 billion. I will let you just let that number breathe, decant, if you will. $2.12 billion towards health care, education, roads, you name it. So what should we do with the LCBO? Can we still get that kind of money and get that kind of value for other expenditures if we went down the privatization road? Well, my next guest has a clear opinion about it. Smokey Thomas is the president of OPSU, the Ontario Public Sector Employees Union, who, of course, staff and run the LCBO, and he joins me on the line. Hi, Smokey. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me on. Wait a second. I just saw some video of some union members going down Queen Street. Is that your members that are blocking traffic right now? Actually, uh, the Ontario Federation of Labor Convention this week is going on this week. I'll be joining that rally as soon as we're done talking. So it's a rally around, uh, well, education, uh, bargaining, and a variety of other things. Why so, do you got to uh, block traffic? I didn't know they were blocking traffic. Well, I just, I just watched a video of them kind of streaming yeah. out onto Queen Street. Is that part of the plan? Uh, no, probably not. That'd probably be a group that uh, just did that on its own. Ah, I see. Well, let's get back to the issue at hand. Why should we keep the LCBO? Why should we not have a private system, which, which they have in Alberta, which the Premier of Alberta says, you know, thank goodness they have that? <laughs> well, I guess uh, I guess Mr. Kenny might be grateful because the owner of Prestige Liquor, and it's not just a small business, it's a chain, his name is Kashav Parikh, uh, he's donated to the Conservatives since 2004, uh, but he's also donated to the Alberta Liberals. And back in 2017, he donated $4,250 to Jason Kenney's leadership campaign, uh, but he doesn't appear to have donated to his uh, campaign to lead the United Conservative Party. So, uh, Mr. in the tweet there where he says, uh, just discovered a great small business, and that's a little bit disingenuous, so... And privatized alcohol sales in Alberta, a lot of the prices went up. They didn't go down. And uh, when you do comparisons, it's kind of difficult. Sometimes you're comparing apples and oranges, but uh, the, the uh, you know there are critics that say the price of alcohol in Ontario is way, way too high. Well, that's actually, I, I don't believe the uh, the case. Uh, on If you look at the whole system, it's very competitive. The LCBO is the largest purchaser of alcohol in the world, the spirits. And uh, they can drive prices down on the wholesale end. And uh, that uh, $2.21 billion that came back into the uh, government coffers, 
that's about half of what uh, fund. It does fund a lot of things in the government. That's a lot. And if you give that up, so if you were just to get rid of the LCBO, you'd give up that $2.21 billion annually. And, but and would you really? Up. You wouldn't give that up entirely because that comes from taxes. And so even if it was a privatized system, there would still be billions flowing into the coffers. I mean, I understand that your contention would be that it would be less. Yeah, it would be less. Well, that's the profits they make. That's not taxes, right? They're taxes. I understand that, but the you know the Alberta government hasn't. You know, they still get money into the provincial coffers in Alberta from oh, alcohol sales. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. But you would, but you would be giving up uh, revenue, right? You, so you're, you're. But you don't know that because the contention from those that say that we should privatize say that we can still get the same amount of money going into government coffers from a privatized system and streamline things and increase choice and convenience for customers? They, uh, well, all those people that claim that have never been able to demonstrate any sort of evidence or proof that that would be the case. It's uh, aspirational uh, on their part. They, they, they believe that's what would happen. And you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not sure. But I do know the LCBO is a very, it is one of the most efficient business models on the planet. Uh, particularly on the wholesale and the distribution and the retail end, and it is very efficient. And, uh, you know, the Liberals just chipped away at, you know, expanding sales, uh, they, and the, the Mr. Ford is uh, ramping that up uh, actually fairly quickly. But there are some social concerns. That $2.21 billion is less than half of what's called the alcohol deficit. So that's what people pay for the cost of alcohol consumption, because it is a drug, right? So all the downside costs, impaired driving, you know, there's researchers that estimate the cost, and they call it the alcohol, to society of uh, the side effects of alcohol, if you will. So it's less than half. It's around $5 billion last time they did some research of the deficit. So if you give up that, then the society is picking up more of a tab to pay the downside. And Alberta does have the highest per capita rate of impaired driving charges in Canada. And I got in trouble for saying that before, but it's true. It comes from stats, Ken. And uh, the last time I made that comment on uh, uh, talk radio in a press release, I got some pretty uh, interesting phone calls from Alberta, did some talk radio right there. But uh, And that's Alberta. They, their, their culture is a bit different than Ontario. And, uh, I mean, I'm uh, unabashedly a fan of the LCBO. We do fight with management over safety in the stores, or, you know, a variety of other things. There are always uh, worker-boss issues. But it is a good model, and I support it. And, uh, you know, my the numbers, uh, you know, there is always just protecting your members' jobs. Well, that's what they elected me to do, for starters. But we've not seen job losses in the LCBO. Uh, and... Uh, so maybe a few stores here, you know, lose some hours, but others go up. So, but it really is about what we believe uh, is a good model for Ontario. It is supported by, you know, Center for Addiction Mental Health, MAD, SAD, or Arrive Alive, uh, you know, uh, harm reduction specialists, alcohol researchers, and clinicians. So it does have the support of the community that actually really studies alcohol, has a vested interest in it. and uh, But, you know, Mr. Ford it does seem hell-bent on putting in corner stores. And on the corner stores, also, I would just ask parents to consider this. You've got to be 18 years old in Ontario to handle alcohol, so what about every teenager that's 17, 16, 15, working in the corner store part-time? If you bring alcohol in, they're out of a job. Well, let, let's just, But let's just take it 
to, to some, and I'm speaking with Warren Smokey Thomas, who is the head of the Ontario Public Sector Employees Union. And, and Smokey, I want to read this for you real quick. We're almost out of time. Yeah. But here's an op-ed recently from Yvonne Martinez, from who is the president of the Alberta Liquor Store Association, talking about Albertans could not be more united about privatization. And goes on to say in this op-ed that Ontario unions and the beer store continue to misinform the public in an effort to protect their existing monopoly, which offers Ontarians less choice and less convenience. Other facts that have been left out of this argument include 12,000 direct jobs created by liquor retail in Alberta, contributing $866 million annually to provincial revenue and creating a $3 billion industry. How do you respond to that, Smokey? Well, maybe he'd publish a paper with evidence, um, because I don't think he can find the evidence to support his claims. And yeah, if you increase consumption, you're going to increase employment. And and if you, you know, the LC bill is opening more what they call convenience stores that will create more jobs and it will go into underserviced areas. That that is going to create jobs. But if you get rid of the beer stores and the LC bill in Ontario, you're probably going to lose twenty thousand jobs. So it, it so it's all kind of perception. And again, I, w- I would just say that the culture here in Ontario is acceptance of the LCBO model, and maybe that will change over the next five to ten years. Who knows? But it's, a, you know, I've been to Alberta, and it is a bit of a different culture, and uh, and I respect their choices, but uh, uh, just, do you know what I mean? It's just, and I do believe that gentleman that wrote that up is a lobbyist for a, a private liquor store. So if there's anybody with a vested interest, it would be him as well. I have an interest, and it is in uh, a safe, uh, secure model of alcohol retail and, and protecting good jobs. They're not, they advertise those jobs in Alberta, and that prestige liquor store is $15 an hour. You've got to do just about everything you can imagine under the sun. And, uh, you know, you look in the picture on the tweet, there's one person working the store. So there's, you know, it's all in how you operate it, how you fund it, and and uh, how you present it to the consumers. And, and really, do you care about the downsides and are you going to try and be as responsible as possible with alcohol sales? And I, if I could just add one last thing. Politicians obsessed with alcohol, to me, either if they got a problem or B, they're using it just like the liberals did as a diversionary thing to take away attention from other very, very serious issues we have in society. I mean, Mr. Klein, or Mr. Kenny's got lots of problems in Alberta. Mr. Ford's got lots of problems here in Ontario. And I wish they would devote as much of their time and attention to you know, solving some of other society's other problems as they do to expanding alcohol sales. Smokey Thomas is the head of the Ontario Public Sector Employees Union and joined me to talk about the LCBO. Smokey, always great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you, Alan. I appreciate your interest. I really do. Thank you. So I wonder if you think that uh, Smokey's got that right, that Ontarians have accepted and want to keep the LCBO. It's going to be a discussion that we're going to continue to have in this province over the next couple of years. Welcome back to the program. We're going to talk scooters in just a second, as promised, but I want to begin with some new research that has come out from Aviva. It's actually from Polera, but it has been commissioned by an insurance company, so keep that in mind where it comes from. But it does have some interesting insights. It shows that 
50% of Canadians are not prepared to navigate a claims process following a car accident, which is a complicated way of saying you don't know what to do when you have an accident. 30% of those in an accident place their first call to whom? Who's your first call? It's a family member or a loved one in 30% of the cases. That number jumps to over 50% for young people. And it's not always the best idea to call dad. That is not necessarily the best thing to do, the first thing to do. I understand. You want to let him know he's, you know, you let your mom, you know, you're okay. But there may be other calls to make. Very few Canadians, according to this poll, understand that their rental coverage what the insurance means for rental coverage, and many overpay as a result. And one-third of Canadians are very likely to use an insurer-approved auto repair shop. That is only one-third. Keep that in mind. Now, here are top three tips for drivers following an accident. Keep your eyes on the road while I tell you this. Call emergency services if necessary before you call your mom or dad. Call your insurance company or broker and avoid signing any kind of a blank work order or any kind of repair or tow or rental vendor contracts that you don't 100% understand. Here's something I don't understand is the province this morning, the province of Ontario, announced a new five-year pilot project for electric kick scooters or e-scooters. It begins in January of 2020. Now, you know the scooters that I'm talking about. They have been a real problem in many American cities where disruptor companies have gone in and they've just said, well, here's the, here's the scooters. And the way they work, right, is that there's no docking station. They just, they're just there on the side of the street and you go over and you scan them with your phone and then you take them and you just go wherever you want with them. You get charged by the uh, the amount of time and the amount of distance you use. And then you just leave them where you are. And they become a big problem because they clutter the streets. They end up in landfills. People are chucking them into the river, so on and so forth. So the province has decided, well, okay, they're coming to come in now. Here comes the province of Ontario with some rules. And what are the rules? Well, I'll read it to you. Here is the Ontario Minister of Tran- Ministry of Transportation uh, release, and I think this is probably the most important part of it. Here's, here it says, it is now up to municipalities to pass bylaws to allow their use and determine where they can operate. In other words, hey, cities of this province, you figure this out. Oh, and by the way, scooters have to have a bell. That is that is perhaps the most important part of this. Oh, wait a minute. You have to have a helmet and no baskets. There are no baskets allowed on your scooter. Keep that in mind. Oh, uh, here, I like this one. Must also, scooters must have two wheels and brakes. Just, <laughs> just in case you were wondering. This has now made the New York Post. Health officials in the Canadian province of New Brunswick have now warned revelers not to engage in risky sexual behavior during the holidays. This tweet now from the New Brunswick Department of Health on Tuesday went this way. This holiday season spread holiday cheer, not hashtag gonorrhea. 
What? New Brunswick has been experiencing an outbreak of sexually transmitted disease. 96 cases of gonorrhea in 2018 compared to 54 cases in the entire previous half of the decade. Dr. Jennifer Russell, Chief Medical Officer of Health, saying this was a big wake-up call that we had a problem and we need to act. So ladies and gentlemen, spread cheer, not the clap. Welcome back to the, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for joining me this hour. Do you like the movies? Do you go out to the movies very much? I tell you what, if you're like me, you probably don't do it as much as you used to. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, there's we're in a golden age of television with streaming services, and you know it would be nice to you know nice to watch sort of chunk sized television shows. That's kind of where a lot of people are at. You know, like do it an hour at a bit, and then you know you, this whole concept like a three hour movie. What? Come on, what? Leave the house? What? Well, Cineplex today announced plans for something called Junction, a first-of-its-kind concept that is part movie theater, part dining destination, and part entertainment complex. And the first one is going to be built at the Aaron Mills Town Center in Mississauga as part of that center's ongoing redevelopment. It's got 45,000 square feet, six auditoriums, food hall, food truck, Gaming, live event space, outdoor screen, rooftop patio, all of this stuff trying to bring people back to the theater. State-of-the-art cinema will offer, quote, comfortable recliners where guests can have food and drinks delivered right to their seats. Open lobby, stage, as I mentioned, and also classic video games as well as virtual reality. All of this in an attempt to try and get you back to the movie theater, that release coming out from Cineplex. And I wonder if that will tempt you to leave the house. Well, will you be tempted to leave the house tomorrow and over the weekend to do a little bit of shopping? Or will you just go shopping to look at things that you will then later buy online and not from the store? That is an increasing retail trend. And it actually has a name. It's called showrooming. And it's increasingly becoming a problem for small business owners, according to a recent survey by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, the CFIB. 60% of CFIB members say they believe they've experienced showroom shopping. And basically, they can kind of get a sense when you come in and you're like, Ah, yeah, that really super expensive thing? I'd like to take a look at that. And then you take a picture of it with your phone, and then you take a picture of of the label, and then the price, and you thank you, and you walk out. You know what you're doing? You're going home to try and see if you can get a better deal online for that exact same thing. A separate poll by cons- of consumers conducted by Angus Reid found that 55% of Canadians have showroom shopped at least once with those between the ages of 18 and 34 most likely to do it. All of that brings us to a discussion about retail sales and retail shopping, especially when we have Black Friday underway. And for some of us, you know, this side of the border that irks us all of this Black Friday talk. I mean, we don't we don't have tomorrow off. We know it's no long weekend or Friday. Is it not Thursday? Uh, we don't have the uh, the vacation time. So it's not a big holiday for us, but yet we're getting all this Black Friday stuff thrown at us. 
And according to some recent statistics, 82% of us plan to shop on at least one of the Black Friday or Cyber Monday or Boxing Day of this year, and more than half of us plan to shop all three. Jason Ferlano is Vice President of Sales and Marketing in, at, at the Marketing Intelligence Company, MIQ, and joins me on the line. Hi, Jason. Hi, Alan. How you doing? I'm doing great. Do Canadians really care about Black Friday and Cyber Monday? Uh, research at MIQ shows that we actually do care a lot about Black Friday and Cyber Monday, so much so that about 34% of Canadians are actually beginning to start their holiday shopping on Black Friday with a good chunk of, uh, of the budgets that we're holding off being saved for, for Cyber Monday. And how much, so online, we, we, we still hold back on that? Because obviously, you know, like, like I, I pointed out, you know, there's not a vacation for us, so it's not the same kind of thing to go out to the malls and get together with family like Americans do. But come Monday, I don't think any of us are going to be doing any work. Well, no, we've kind of looked to our, our cousins from the U.S. for that. And actually, we found that while the retail experience itself, so going into stores uh, drops or, or stays flat with what happens on Black Friday, on Cyber Monday, you see a significant increase. About 59% of Canadians are online shopping uh, on Cyber Monday. So you're seeing that throughout the course of the weekend, when most sales extend right through uh, Friday and continue into Monday, you're seeing that that online experience is jumping while that in-store experience remains relatively flat. If you listen to this radio station during the commercial breaks, which I really highly encourage you to listen to very closely, uh, you will hear ads for Black Friday things, you know, obviously pitched to Canadians. Uh, Do retailers have to get on board? Are they missing out if they're not marketing Black Friday deals to Canadians? So that's, that's a great point and something that we've seen tremendously over the last five years, kind of almost quadruple, actually. So initially, Black Friday, as you mentioned, Alan, it was a U.S. holiday, as was Cyber Monday. Canadian marketers began to realize that they were missing a little bit of a trick with the opportunity to, to talk to Canadian consumers in a very different way. Combine that with the fact that we've seen a massive fluctuation in the uh, foreign exchange as much as 24% during this pivotal shopping time, Canadian marketers and consumers have decided they're going to stay at home and do a lot of that shopping now. Yeah, I just got back from a a New York trip for the the weekend, and, you know, I I tried to forget about the exchange because, you know, even though there are deals to be had, you tack on that 25%, and that deal is gone pretty quick. Yeah, so that's a big part of it. And combining that with the fact that basically every marketer has kind of jumped on board with this. I was listening in during the break, and now you're seeing that Black Friday happens in the automotive uh, industry. It works with uh, online mattress companies like Casper. Everywhere in the Eaton Center this weekend is going to have a Black Friday sale. So all all the marketers have kind of gotten bored with this, which has allowed for the consumer to really benefit locally and not have to make that trek down the uh, the Gardner Expressway and the, the dreaded QEW to, uh, to Niagara. When it comes to the online shopping, where are Canadians in terms of online shopping vis-a-vis Americans? Are, are we pretty much in, uh, on the same level in the, the amount that we do, or are they ahead of us? Yeah, so we're spending about the same uh, when it comes to our local currency. What we are finding as Canadians, uh, we're a bit better at planning. So we're ending our shopping a little bit earlier in December, 
we are starting uh, significantly around Black Friday, but what's happening is a good chunk is being done over the course of this weekend. And then in early December, we're finishing up where our counterparts from the U.S., they're extending a little bit later. Jason Ferlano is Vice President of Sales at the marketing intelligence company MIQ. Thank you so much for joining me on the program. Appreciate you, Alan. Thanks for having me. So are you going to be doing some shopping over the course of the next couple of days? You're going to wait to Monday and see if you can get some of those sweet Cyber Monday deals. And like I say, you know, I think the productivity, and we've seen we've seen actual studies about this, is that productivity on Monday right across the board drops because what are people doing? You're not doing work. You're online. You're online shopping. I love this story out of Georgia. The loss of Krispy Kreme donuts documented by police in Georgia, has now come to a bittersweet ending. Brookhaven police officers posted to Facebook cops responding to a quote-unquote total carnage on Tuesday morning. Dozens and dozens of donuts fell from a delivery truck onto the curb and into the gutter of a road in a city near Atlanta. Police say the response time to this was fast, but not fast enough to beat the five-second rule. So police asked in this post for thoughts, for prayers, as the total loss of the donuts deeply affected all of the department's officers. Well, then, other police officers saw that. Officers in nearby Gainesville sending a batch of sympathy donuts to Brookhaven police in their time of mourning. Sad. This other one from North Carolina, I also enjoy this. Police say a convenience store clerk staged a robbery with her boyfriend at the business and then went to Walmart, bought some rings, and took a video of their engagement at the Walmart. The Department of Safety in North Carolina releasing a news release saying that this woman reported that there had been a robbery, And cash had been stolen, $3,000 from this convenience store. But then they noticed discrepancies in the story, did police. And they discovered it was actually her boyfriend who had entered the store demanding the money. Then they went to her house, they searched her phone, and found a video of them getting engaged at the Walmart early the next morning. Now that is romance. First, we're going to stage a robbery. Then... We're going to buy the engagement ring at the Walmart. And really, here's the capper. I'm going to take a knee right here by the greeter. Will you Walmart marry me? Thank you so much for spending some time with us this hour. I'm Alan Carter. We'll see you again tomorrow at noon.